Hello, this is Bill Chambers, and welcome to the Faster Podcast. My objective is to interview the most interesting people in the rowing world, and in the next 45 minutes, get insights and even discover how it is that they do what they do, what makes them unique and fascinating, their success mindset, and certainly what they do to go fast. My guest today is well-known in Australian rowing and surf lifesaving, competing and winning over the last 40 years in both stillwater and surf boats. He has served as the president of Mosson Rowing Club in Sydney and along with his wife and Olympic athlete Gillian, awarded Coach of the Year. He is a highly successful entrepreneur, owning the original Row Perfect indoor sculler rowing machine and a highly successful vet practice on Sydney's northern beaches. My guest today is Dr. Mark Campbell. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. I've been enjoying the other podcasts you've been putting out a great deal. It's been really impressive. I've, uh, I've been impressed with the people and what they've had to say, actually. You've had, had some great guests. I feel very honoured, actually, to be included in the company. Oh, mate, the, the, the feeling is mutual. I think uh, we've known each other more than uh, 30 years, but I, I know what you do. But how would you describe what it is, what you do, Mark? Oh, wow. That's an interesting question. I juggle a lot of things in the air. I mean, the first thing, I'm, I've got five children, so uh, and a lovely wife. So that, that, I suppose their priorities, one to six there, in one way or another. Um, I'm a veterinarian, uh, still practising full-time and, and enjoying it a lot. A small, it's a small animal practice. When I first graduated, I would have loved to have done large animals because it's a drought. So I've ended up in small animal practice and I really love it. And then the other thing we... I've always been a rower. The things I've been happy to be described as as a rower and a veterinarian, uh, then parent was added later on. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've, I've fell into it one way or another. I fell into doing the Row Perfect thing with Casper Rakers. And then when Casper got sick, I, uh, we bought the, uh, the original company from Casper with him as a, a minority partner. partner. So I, I juggle a lot of things in the air, but the main thing I guess I do is my, my day-to-day job is as a veterinarian. And how did you get started into that, mate? Uh, when I graduated from university, as I said, I wanted to do large animal practice, but uh, there was no jobs. In fact, there was no, not one large animal job advertised in the whole of 1983 when I graduated. Uh, I got a great call from a friend, who, a guy I'd played football uh, with at university and against at school, who, who I'd gone through vet with, but I, because I'd taken a year off, I was a year behind him. Um, and he gave me a call and I went and started working in Kingsford in Sydney's eastern suburbs and a place where we had an incredible amount of fun and worked ridiculously hard for four years for a guy called John Hartley, who I, I loved dearly. And, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of, we had a lot of great times. And then I just, I had always been a member of the surf club here at South Curl from when I was going through university. Um, when I first joined, I, I had no idea where South Curl was, by the way. I, I didn't know if it was even in Sydney, but I thought if the other guys uh, could get here, then I could, and they'd ask me if I could come and row with them, two, two friends from university. Um, so I always thought there was an opportunity here, so I just stuck up my shingle and uh, <laughs> just started from scratch in the most ludicrous location, really, because the way I chose it was it was very close to the surf club. Um, and it was the cheapest house I could find in the district that uh, 
had a you know, living area upstairs because the kitchen was already upstairs. Uh, I converted the downstairs into a veterinary clinic and, uh, yeah, so that was uh, 1987 and I started in 1988. So we've been going ever since. It was a funny, funny situation, but thanks to the people in the surf club, I've it's been an incredibly wonderful journey. Mark, did you, you were at uni, right? So did you row at uni or did you first discover rowing through surf boats? No, no, I, I rowed at school before I rowed at university. You tell us, um, tell us a little bit about that. How did you, you know, what was your first impression? How did you first get into rowing? That's, that's a good question. I mean, we'll talk to, touch on it a bit later, but uh, I, I was a boarder at school um, and when I was a little kid, I started boarding very young after a family breakup. So um, I was boarding, you know, through the primary school. And, of course, you couldn't row then. But I remember seeing these superhumans pulling boats down the river at uh, Penrith when we were dragged out there once a year. And, you know, now and again, there'd be a race go past. And I never thought that would be relevant to me. Um, I was a moderately good cricketer. So for the first year of, uh, that I could row, I, I turned it off. But I was a red-headed kid and getting fried and... Cricket is, uh, sorry, cricketers, if you're listening, but it, it is a fairly boring game to play. Um, there's a lot of time out in the field between drinks. Um, so the, on the third attempt, I was, after being talked out of running a couple of times because it was hot and sweaty, um, I went down to Double Bay a year behind my, my own year group, which was a massive social uh, comeback. But um, it ended up being, you know, it was a boys' own sort of situation. We were rowing on Sydney Harbour, right near the, the Harbour Bridge, which, funnily enough, I don't think any of us ever noticed. But uh, we we just would go down and put these little tub. We had uh, about five or six tub uh, fours down there, so we'd we'd slide them into the water and then go and rob fish traps and have fun. And we had some great adventures. <laughs> like it, it, it really was. We'd, we'd run out, we'd we'd row around behind you know one of the islands on Sydney Harbour and you know, muck up until the teachers found us and brought us around and made us do a few races. But there was a great group of guys in the year below me and I, I, I they were just, um, uh, they were good athletes. They had a great attitude. We did a lot of really interesting training, uh, running and, and different sort of, uh, we had a guy called Mr. French who, who taught us a lot about, he was a vegetarian, which was quite a, a, a unique or weird thing in those days. <laughs> you know, we thought that was, that was quite exotic to have a vegetarian uh, as a teacher but he had all these great exercises bunny hops and stuff so we did some really interesting stuff on the water um and we'd do a bit of racing uh, sorry off the water but we'd do a bit of racing on the water and basically just had fun so it was a, a really great introduction to the sport um then i moved up to uh the the main boat shed then again a year behind my cohort but in the meantime I'd had a really wonderful friend that I went through boarding school, my best friend through boarding school who came from northern New South Wales. And that the boarding house he was in had chin-ups at the um, a chin-up bar set up out the front. So all the guys in that house were really strong. And I thought I should try and get strong. I don't know that I particularly had any great aims to for why I would do that, but it just struck me as a good idea. And I wanted to have the fun of doing chin-ups and swinging around the bar. So that, that winter, every... Basically, every single night, unless it was raining hard, we ran across and Dave very patiently watched as I progressed from two chin-ups to 20 and uh, it took a whole term to do that. And then, you know, when I finally got to the um, the main boat shed, you know, I'd, I'd increased in strength a whole lot and so I just managed to 
jump up a few divisions and you know then I, because as, as a boarder you 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 know the, the boat shed is a massive escape for you it's it's like you know the best way i could put it is it's like having um being on day leave from prison <laughs> to to <laughs> you know so that, was, that was so that was my introduction to rowing i i had no idea I'd ever get into it, and then so you had no ambition, no no child dream, or it was it was just seeing these these boys at Penrith at the head of the river, and you kind of I want a bit of that. Oh well, even I don't know that I even thought that um, because they seemed superhuman to me. I, I I didn't relate to it. I just didn't know that that was something that I would ever become even competent at, let alone you know reasonably good at. Um, so I, I just thought it was going to be a bit of fun, and I think the initial you know, that introduction was so good because it, it was fun. It was enormous fun. Uh, and then we got some basics and then, you know, we were left to our own devices, which I think is often a great thing to do with kids. Um, my selection uh, it was, was virtually non-existent. I was standing waiting for trials to be in the third junior eight, which was the, you know, the, the bottom of the bottom. And this funny uh, Tommy guy, Murray Stammers, went past and he said, what are you doing, son? And I said, oh, I'm waiting for trials for the third junior eight, sir. And he said, no, you're not. You're in the fourth floor. You're coming with me. So that was the entirety of selection for the whole year. Wow. No assessment, nothing, you know, because I'd become a fair bit stronger from the chin-ups, not being really aware of it. Um, and he probably just picked that. And then he was a great guy, but I don't remember ever being actually coached by him. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. Did you, did you have anyone that was a mentor for you or inspired you at that age? Oh, at that age, yeah, definitely. Well, Dave Reardon, by, by doing that, that favour of going with me where for, when I was, I was a mod, I was a very moderate athlete. I was moderately good at a few, at a fair few things, you know, um, I, my family's reasonably athletic, but I'd just been moderately good at a whole lot of things. And, and by Dave, you know, taking the time to go every single night in winter, this was, you know, to, to run across to those chin up bars with this bloke who was basically hopeless. Um, and then from, from then I, I went to uh, in my second year at the seniors, I had Howard Croker and Tom Jennings, whose son, um, David now coaches the shore first wow. day here in Sydney. Wow. He's well known. Yeah. So they, they were my coaches and Howard was great. He was enthusiastic. And Tom was, Tom was actually the school chaplain at the time, but I think to be honest, his main religion was rowing. Um, <laughs> he just loved it. He was a fantastic, we all loved him. He was, he was an amazing guy, Tom. Um, <laughs> Well, he still is. He's still alive, and he's a he's a great guy. I, I just couldn't speak too highly of Tom. So, at that age, you know, that was they were they were my early inspirations, and they were very good to me. And they noticed that I pulled hard in the fourth floor, so I made the first eight the next year, and just kept going from there. Really, you know. How was how was the exotic uh, teacher um, doing all the the bunny hopping and plyometrics? Did when... well, he dropped out by then. You know, he 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 was just with the junior kids. He was just a great guy, Mister. Fr- his name was Mister. French. Um, and he actually taught French, funnily enough. Um, so yeah, I, I just—he was just a good start, I think. You know, getting get, getting getting all of us that idea of you know doing some really good plyometrics and jumping and running hard, and it was a competitive group of kids in that. Um, you know, we were all just thirteen and fourteen, so you know we were no great shakes. But uh, they were some, there were some very good athletes in in that group. So it was lucky that I had started off a year behind with my my own group in a way in the in the long run. So I got a bit of time to just develop. What what happened next, mate? So, you, so you, you threw to the first date, and you 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 took your your rowing from there. How did that go through to uni and on to Curly? Well, in my final year, I um 
I was actually, I actually ended up playing quite high level football, uh, but in those days there was no money in rugby. So when I graduated, um, it was, you know, rowing just came up first and I got a phone call from a great mate who I'd rode in with, the, in with my final year, Andrew McCallum, whose father, Neil, was the president of Leichhardt. But Andy rang me up and said they were putting together a, a New South Wales Youth Aid. So I'd, I'd, just, I'd actually been very sick during the HSC. I had uh, glandular fever, but I'd just recovered. And so I went along and somehow made that crew. And that was, there were some great people. I had uh, Stuart Evans from Mossman Rowing Club was the coach who you know well and, mm. you know, that, had some great idiosyncrasies, but but uh, Stuart was a massive influence on me. In fact, I think as far as coaches go for just making you make a decision that you're going to have a real crack at something, Stuart was the standout. I, I still think he was, you know, everyone who knew Stuart, he's, he died a couple of years ago and he, you know, had, had a few demons and he'd lost his arm when he was uh, rowing in the Australian 8 in the car accident, so... You know, he he uh, he was a unique character, I guess, is the best way to put Stewie. So um, I'd agree with you there, Mark. Yeah, he was a great influence. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. He was the, the the first man that put me in a tub, along with some of the go. boys from uh, Balgala High, and uh, you know, I had a, a, quite a uh, rude awakening to what it meant to be a real competitor. Yes. And I think yeah. I think Stuart had the had the technical nous, and he had uh, a great way of using the least amount of words to get a point across that gave one no uncertainty about what he expected from you. That's that's actually a great summary. And he, he had some great adjectives that he could add. That we can't repeat. We can't repeat on the podcast <laughs> unless we mark it no, as explicit. People probably, yeah, yeah, people will probably get the, get the message. But I clearly remember at the state championships that year, you know, and I was still thinking, oh, I might go and play football. I might do this. I might do that. You know, I might go surfing for the day because we're not racing tomorrow. And Stuart just gave me a serve. He said, this is your beep, beep, beep sport and you will be here tomorrow and you're going to have a, you know, you're going to learn what it takes to have a crack. And it was just, it was just perfectly timed. And I thought, bloody hell, it actually, it is my sport and uh, I do like it. And, you know, I'll play a bit of footy for fun, but, um, yeah, it was. It was. It was. I, I remember that day very clearly, and I remember a lot of his coaching. Actually, he was. He was a really unique, fun character, Stuart. He he made rowing fun, but he was incredibly passionate and, and hard. Yeah, and I think he came from a generation that may not be understood in today's context, but he was certainly one that I. I'll just re- recall a story that I was. Uh, I think it was at the Balmain Regatta. I was about fifteen. I was in a single. It was rough. I was nervous as anything. And he came up to me and rather than consoling me, just looked me in the eye and he said, what is going on with you? And I said, I'm nervous. He said, you've got nothing to be nervous about, mate. He said, you can't affect anyone else. You've got to go out there and do your bloody thing. Now, I don't expect anything else. Yeah. <laughs> go out and win it. That's good. <laughs> go <out and> win <laughs> it, mate. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it, I think at that age, you know, you, you get that you, you need someone that believes in you. Um, and you need someone that actually communicates their belief in you. And I think Stuart was fantastic uh, for me, and it sounds like he was for you. So you could say that he was someone that uh, inspired you to reach in a bit bit more inside and uh, dig out what's possible, eh? Oh, oh absolutely. In that, in that really good transition phase from school to, you know, to, you know post, post-school rowing, which is such a, a stepping stone for so many kids, so many drop out. 
you know, I don't know that I'd recommend everybody copying Stuart on a bad morning after he'd had a few drinks the night before, but <laughs> it, it, it worked. It worked really well for a lot of people. I, I just think his direct communication was at, at times exceptional. Stuart, he he had a lot of emotional intelligence. He was a he was a great guy. You know, I, I, I touched before on the fact that he had that he lost his arm, but I I can the greatest compliment I can give that guy is I can never remember thinking of him in any way as disabled. He worked as an electrician for me. He set up all the electrics in my vet clinic that um, when I first started and, and through our house and stuff. And he was an amazing guy. He, you know, yeah. he was a right-handed grower who became a left-handed electrician and rowing coach. And never felt sorry for himself, ever. And never. He, his self-pity just wasn't on that guy's radar at all. Yeah. None at all. That's a, that's a really important point. None at all. Yeah. So, Mark, you've gone you've gone through the the, the, the rowing journey. You're at Curly. What are some of the other uh, big moments that that you recall of your your rowing career? Uh, in my well, I didn't really start uh, rowing surfboats until I was post serious rowing. I, I went on the road the next year. We had a, a New South Wales uh, team that represented Australia in New Zealand. That was probably the pinnacle when I. I, so that that was uh, the main point when I really got the, the the bug for doing serious rowing, and we had a great series over there against the. Um, it was actually the first crew that Harry Marn ever coached for New Zealand. It was an under twenty one crew, I think we were called. We were called Colts in those the days. Colts, yeah. But, that was, yeah, so that was two, the crew that you did that amazing time in, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, we had a great. The, the final race, we'd won one all of the first two races, and in the final race, we both did five thirty eight, but they were about point one or point two in front of us. So, um, yeah, it was just the way it went. But it was we'd, we'd had a, a that was an interesting day in itself. We'd taken the boat across from New South Wales, and the the uh, the rudder broke in the start, and you know we were in a paddock at Lake Carapiro. It was just it was a fantastic day, and I I really liked Harry. Actually, I, I got on really well after the first race. I spent about two hours talking to Harry, and that. That really gave me the bug. He was such a great communicator and, and a lovely guy, and we, we became firm friends. And luckily enough, the, the, I got to see him again um, at the 2000 Olympics, and uh, you know I was really proud to, that by accident I had uh, given him a massive compliment, and he was standing right beside just behind us, and he heard. And uh, so um, that was the day before the final of the men's eight. So yeah. It, he was, he was an exceptional guy, Harry, and that was a great time. And then when I came back, it was obvious you couldn't, in under any circumstances, break into the Olympic selection system then. I knew that was my only chance to probably ever do that because I'd have to graduate as a vet and what have you. So I just went and jackarooed for a year. And then I came back and just rode for university, had fun, and that's when I got into surfboats. So, you know, I, I kept on rowing for university and, and, prop, and seriously rowing for university. But uh, then I got into surfboats with with South Curl Curl by complete accident. And and your your lovely your lovely wife is a bit of a rock star on the water too, isn't she? A nice uh, successful Olympian and, and Australian champion and coach of the year. Yeah. How'd you meet Gillian? Uh, well, I actually met her at school, funnily enough, at a school dance. Um, and then I rang her up uh, the week later, and she brushed me. So um, <laughs> I thought that was the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> she thought that uh, you know guys who went to school dances might not be cool, and then she she uh, also heard there were other things. I, I'd had a fairly successful final year at school, and you know, well, not to blow my own trumpet, but I was school captain, and I 
few things and chase. You thought I'd have a, an entourage of women, and the sad thing was that anything, but the, but that was the truth. So um, then I ran into it when I in that sec that nineteen seventy nine, the second year after I left school, uh, I um, was dragged into coaching by one of the girls that um, uh, who I was doing vet with, Jenny Bow, who who asked me to come down and help out, and uh, I went down to Double Bay Boatshed where I actually started rowing, and there was. 20 girls looking at me like I was, you know, the god of rowing. <laughs> it was a great experience. <laughs> so I sort of wondered how much I had to pay for the job, but uh, they, there was no pay involved, but I didn't have to pay for it, which was great. And then Jill was there and she tried to hide for a bit, but I recognised her. So She's, uh, she's know, only human. Is, she's only human, mate. Yeah, she is. So the rest is history. We got, you know, married uh, later on. Actually, I, I went, I went jackarooing for a year after that year when I really worked out that there was no chance of making the Olympic team. So mm. I took a year off from vet and went and worked as a jackaroo for um, in the bush. And uh, then I worked in a, in a quarry driving trucks, which was, you know, a great, great life experience. You know, I, I had a wonderful time. Learned to swear an awful lot, unfortunately. It took me years to get over it and I still have problems uh, occasionally. I think Stuart Evans probably helped you with that, mate. Um, well, Stewie was Stewie was an introduction. I can say that <laughs> Stewie was a, was a very good introduction, but uh, compared to the guys in the quarry, Stewie was just a beginner. <laughs> and yeah, Mark, can you share with us what what um, was there anything that you learned from from Stewie and Harry that that you kind of inculcated into your approach to to training the girls at Double Bay? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean. I guess that those two were probably, probably along with maybe uh, Zeno Muller, the, the biggest influences on my coaching from within rowing. Uh, you know, Stuart's passion was just awesome. And um, Harry's, uh, well, well, Harry really introduced me to the Row Perfect. So there you go, you know, and, and as soon as I, uh, I tried it and I, and I stupidly didn't try it for a while, but uh, when I, as soon as I tried it, I worked it out. Uh, how, how smart and Harry by then was already had already been using it for some years with the um, Cambridge crews, of course. And so, uh, you know, he he became a great supporter and we became friends through that, kept in email contact again, remembered me from that uh, 1979 crew. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really happy to say that, uh, you know, to what I was able to say to someone about him accidentally within his earshot was, you know, one of my great moments to, to say that I, I thought that he might be the difference between uh, Great Britain beating Australia in the uh, in the men's eight. And so that was a really just completely accidental and uh, it was a really nice thing to be able to do. That was at the Olympics. Yeah. So, Mike, you, you also mentioned Zeno. So what mm. could you could you maybe highlight a little bit of, you know, the background of Zeno Muller and the takeaways that you took from Stuart, Harry and Zeno? And what you took into uh, the the coaching of the the girls and and still coaching from them? Yeah, uh, look, uh, Zeno. Well, from Harry and, and from Stuart, I learned passion, and I think it was really really important. Um, Harry, just a bit of analysis, and and you know, he was a great he was a really great thinker in rowing. I, I actually, what I should say is, he came out and I just started doing a bit of coaching. At Mossman with a group of girls who um, had no other coach, they were just a leftover bunch basically. They're all at high school, and we had a had a lot of fun. And um, Harry was out for the regatta before the Olympics, and Harry came out in a boat, and I just watched. I was quite mesmerised by his 
approach to uh, coaching and he's just his, his you know search for and just feel and move with the boat and and you know by then he was really using row perfect uh, you know, the technology the the, or the terminology I should say mm. uh, and teaching how to move really well with the boat and and I found that just fascinating I, in fact I, I I remember getting off the water and thinking wow that was that was an amazing experience um, and then I became friends with Zeno uh, I, I provided our first prototype when we were trying to make the new uh, Row Perfect with the lowered flywheel. I took across to um, the US uh, to to Zeno, and and he loved it. And he was he was uh, just a great guy. You know, he he'd used it. I, I was aware of that by then, and um, so I took across our first prototype in must have been two thousand and five of with the lowered flywheel, and and he was a great fan, and he's just a he's a great bloke. Um, Zeno, as, as probably everyone who knows him knows, he's he's a real enthusiast and uh, uh, just a, just a great guy. So I find him I found him inspirational and um, just as a person, as much as then we had a, we had some fun with the kids. I, I had two young girls at that stage who hadn't we just had a baby, so I had three of the four kids that we've uh, the five kids we've now got. So um, four pregnancies, five kids. So uh, I had two of them with me, and and he was just great. And we went and looked through Disneyland, and you know. Um, I got Zeno's approach to rowing was was just so good, and, and you know he he let me in on some of his ideas about you know how to move in the boat, and and uh, I'd already seen a lot of video and understood that. So um, well, yeah, can I, you I, share I, I some of those just, ideas, mate? What what? Because I know Zeno's put a lot out on YouTube, and he had a Harry Marm was his coach as well, and he yeah. had um, who was the 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 other. Australian chap that coached Marty Aiken, wasn't it, for a while as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well Zeno's ideas on – or his takeoff from Marty was, was deep – the physiology stuff was deeply impressive to me about, you know, how, how strict Marty had been about their their um, uh, their lactate levels in training. And I, I found that fascinating. And, uh, you know, he, he was adamant that, that it kept him in great condition – He's obviously an exceptional athlete. You know? Yeah, so, huge motor. Yeah, you, know, you could maybe you could have beaten him with a stick, and he still would have got the same result. But I don't, I don't think that's true. And that last five hundred in '96, when he just you know lays waste to the greatest rowers you know around at the time, um, you know, I think you sort of see his a his physiology and but these the, the the results of the training from from Marty and, and his own approach too. He was a very self directed um, rower. I found that out too, which. I really enjoyed. You know, he was doing so, a lot of his training remotely. So, so Marty was was really focusing on under the two millimole. You're talking about the first lactate yeah, threshold. Yeah, I think if they went over two point one, Marty, you know, gave them a, a caning and said, "Well, you know, you have to you have to keep it down." Um, and they did a lot of in boat testing. So, being a veterinarian, you know, that was a big a big learning curve for me to to realise just how useful a lactate meter. I, I knew straight away how clever it was. And I, I understood all the physiology from veterinary training because we'd had a lot of work on that sort of stuff with horses. Yeah, race horses. Yeah, yeah, race horses. Exactly. You know, um, and and the, the the sensible approach to training. I, I I was trained by a guy called Dave Hodgson um, when I was at uh, university, and they'd get in broken down trotters that were actually on their way to the knackery, and they would buy them for whatever the price the, the knackery was going to buy them for. And these horses were in such bad condition from poor training that they could barely beat us on the inclined treadmill. Like, you know, the best athlete in Sydney, and he was an 800-metre runner. I was yeah. a pretty fit rower. I could go for two minutes at maximum pace, 
the best 800 meter runner could do three minutes. No, 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 sorry, no, two minutes 35, I think, not even three minutes. The horses, some of the horses came in, they couldn't do three minutes before they had to stop the treadmill. So um, then they, when they were trained properly, they would go up to 15 minutes at flat out speed. It was one of the most inspiring things. This is an inclined treadmill. It's probably something that wouldn't make any sense to anybody, but basically a, a way to, to, to measure the incredible power that a racehorse, you know, has. So, you know, no human being ever got over three minutes on that, on that machine and a, a race and a, a trotter well-trained could do 15 minutes. Yeah, it's incredible, mate. Absolutely yeah, incredible. Just, they're, they're just so much better athletes than we are, you know. Uh, and that, that made, it was a great thing to see. You know, it was really good for your humility factor too, just to realise what a, you know, what, <laughs> we, we, we can do some great stuff, human beings, but compared to, you know, a racehorse, we're not even on the same page. Yeah, so, so Marty was real stickler to the, uh, the build a big base, which I, I, I've heard uh, Peter Anthony was a big favour as well, which is around probably the same uh, yeah. period. Uh, focus on on that but okay so that's uh that's marty and then zeno and and harry the the technical aspects and you mentioned that zeno was quite um had his own own thoughts on rowing and the technique anything that you could you could kind of summarize on on what zeno would say is uh his approach or what you took away from that i think he just really just he he learned that uh really watching that lactate meter was a really important thing. He, 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 would, he would say that he would do some harder stuff in the gym, um, but he was certainly, uh, you know, he really watched that. So when you've got a, you've basically got a throttle on, you, you're saying you can't exceed this lactate. So you have to get as efficient as possible to move the boat within that limitation. So you get the, the greatest speed you can do while generating only two miles of lactate, you know, and, um, I, I think that was, you know, uh, a really great way to approach training. It also, well, I, I think it's a wonderful way to stop injury and uh, exhaustion and burnout, you know. And and then, and, and all the latest says it's right. Well, mate, I'm 100% with you. And I think the, the other thing it does is it allows the athlete to have consistency in training so they can keep showing up because they're not breaking down and missing sessions. Exactly, um, exactly. I remember Sean, Sean Bowden, the, the, the Oxford University coach, once said to me, it's not the sessions that we do, it's the ones that we miss that count. Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the 90-90 rule, isn't it? Who came up with that 90% of the, of the last 90 days sessions? You, you must do that, uh, I think, that. Get them that was Martin McElroy, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. So, mate, you get five uh, wonderful children, beautiful wife. Um, you've, you've built a, a business from, from basically scratch in the bottom of the house. And then I know around the 2000s, you built that wonderful uh, clinic, which you've still got uh, looking after animals and welfare down in Freshy, Freshwater Beach. If you'd have to to point at one character trait that you think, you know, got you through boarding school and, and through the tough times and, and made you who you are today, what would you say that is? Um, I've had a, th- I had a lot of thought about that. I think maybe, and I say just maybe, it's the ability to look for the best in people. I'm, I am habitually a bit like that. Uh, people, I drive people mad because I'm a bit uh, over the top positive. Um, so I do, I do have that. I, I think I learned that a lot from reading uh, *To Kill a Mockingbird* and you know Atticus Finch's thing about um, uh, you know walking around in another person's shoes. Um, I, that, that made a deep impression on me, on me as a little boy. 
and I read that book, you know, dozens of times actually. Um, so uh, I'm a bit of a rereader and a rewatcher of movies actually. So sometimes I don't get the message straight up, but that that thing maybe that's I'm, I'm reasonably good at doing that, um, and I'm pretty determined. I'm pretty I mean, I've got persistence. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm polite. I, I did quite well academically at school, and I always said that the only reason for that I really can I, I do believe the main reason I was too polite to interrupt the teachers I just listened um, mm. you know, while the other guys were bouncing off the walls or whatever you know yeah uh, I don't think I was particularly bright but uh, you know I, I did pretty well and I, I of, I've often looked back and I thought I reckon I just sat there and just listened and uh, that, was, that was 80% of the battle yeah you use the ears to the mouth in that ratio two to one yes if or less if possible yeah yeah Mark, if you're having a bad day, how do you cheer your st- yourself up and, and stay positive? Like, you you know, you, you say you're a positive guy, but you must have a bad day from time to time. Oh, all the time. I think we all do. I mean, you know, I can, but I think there are lots and lots of management things you can do. You know, my first thing, you know, I make sure I, you know, if, I, if I'm feeling a bit down, I just check if I need a drink. Do I need a bit of food? Am I had enough sleep? Uh, do I need some exercise? They're, the 10-minute rule of doing some exercise every day is, is huge. Um, often going to work. Uh, my clients, every day I'm reminded of how wonderful the vast, vast majority of people are. Um, I plan, it's quite funny because I meet about three new people a day on average. I've gone through this many times in my head. And I, I honestly meet about one really unpleasant person a year. So wow. I meet, you know, maybe a thousand. One out of a thousand. Yeah. And that's, that's about, and I think that's a pretty fair ratio. That's, I found that consistently. I've been working for a long time. Um, when I was 83, so you know, coming up, I'm not far from 40 years working, so um, yeah, and that, but you do see people at their best with their animal. I must, I should add that because there was, there was something they care about, but they're not quite so you know, uh, worried as they might be if their child was that sick. Um, so mm. you really see people with something they care about, you see them at their best, so that's one of the nice things about vet. But I've seen that in you know, even in rowing, when you're rowing, competition can make us all a bit, you know, antsy on our day. But the vast, vast majority of people are still great, you know, um, especially once the race is done, you know. Now, I'm very good at, at watching, you know, movies again that, that will motivate me or reading a fantastic passage out of, you know, my favourite books or, you know, um, music. And, you know, if I turn on Cold Chisel, I feel like, you know, <laughs> I just find them amazing. And ACDC, I think they're both, they're two of the great bands. I think Chisel's probably, you know, my favourite band of all time, but only just in front of Akadaka. You know, they, they're incredibly motivating um, music, you know, at times. Mate, you've had, a, you've had a great impact on my life with those two messages, right? So something that always reminds me of you is when I'm not feeling up to it in the morning and I go out training, I always remember Mark Campbell saying to me, mate, just get through the first 10 minutes and if you still feel like crap, then stop. But the first 10 minute rule. And I remember sitting on the Erg in the gym once and you saying to me, mate, you've got to put music on, put some ACDC on. It's going to make it so much easier for you. <laughs> so yeah. yeah that's, well, that's still my song of song of choice, Thunderstruck for the, for the, the 2K test. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's just the right leg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, it's worked for me. You know, it, um, I, I think that you can do so much to, you know, modify your, your mood and 10 minutes of exercise is, you know, I stole that from Graham Avery who, who broke the, um, I, have, I would love to acknowledge him for that. He won, he broke the one hour record afterwards, stood for 30 something years from um, Bernard Hinault, wasn't it? Who, who'd had the one Could hour be, record yeah. on the bicycle. 
And um, he worked out very quickly that he had to produce this enormous amount of watts. It's a great story. If anyone wants to listen to, to it sometime, look it up. But basically, he, very quickly, he worked out how much work he had to do. And he was so fatigued constantly that uh, he developed this thing where he went for 10 minutes. And if he was tired after 10 minutes, he just turned around and went home. But it, what he found was, as we all do, that uh, you know, at least nine times out of 10, more like 99 out of 100, he felt good again and got going. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great rule to remember. Mark, yeah. with all the, you, you know, you've had a lot of success and you're a successful uh, entrepreneur. Do you still meet resistance sometimes when you're coming up with new ideas or projects that you're thinking of doing? Oh, not, not sometimes, all the time. I mean, uh, I think that's, I think anybody, you know, people hate change. We, we all hate change. We all hate to change. But one of the things that this has taught me and, and I've, I've known from veterinary science, one of the great things about being a vet is that you, you, you realise very quickly that uh, change will happen, that new things are discovered. For Just to what the, 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 the classic example in veterinary science is that when I went through, we were told that cats never got pancreatitis. And the simple fact was we just didn't have the blood test for it. Once we had the blood test for it, every second sick cat had pancreatitis. So you're very open to new ideas. You know, I've, I've, I went through university being told that, you know, cats and pancreatitis was almost a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and now it's a once-a-week occurrence. So, you know, um, mind you, we treated them reasonably well with antibiotics and fluids anyway, but we didn't know it was pancreatitis. We just needed the right test. So... You know, if you have a new idea in anything, you'll have you know a lot of resistance to it. That's that's just the way we are set. We we don't change easily. We need good rational thinking to do it. And and being human beings, we're not always rational. I'm as bad as anybody else. Um, but uh, veterinary science has been really great for giving me that bit of insight and perspective that uh, you know you you have to be prepared to change. Even your most sacred cows, you have to be ready to change. And then. That's what really helped me with the Ray Perfect when I first got on it and uh, Cass was there. And I, as soon as I took 10 strokes, and I, I had, had no interest in doing it, and I, I stopped immediately and I thought that's the way of the future. That's how I, that's how I got into it. Howard Croker had badgered me to go and do it. So, you know, I'm used to that resistance um, and, uh, you know, to new ideas in, in, in anything. I think we're all set that way. We don't change easily, but we have to be prepared to, to, to uh, acknowledge that and, and try and work past it a bit. So do you think then to some extent that overcoming that adversity, that, that uh, the risk in the head, the, uh, getting through that is one of the key successes to life? Oh, I would say for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and believe the other one, the one that I really live by is believing the best about people until you've proven the other way. Yeah. They're the two things that I, yeah. Be prepared to lose your sacred cows all the time. Um, you know, and, you know, and, you know, Rudyard Kipling was my favourite poem, you know, if and, you know, success and failure are just two imposters and don't be too worried about them, you know. just Treat uh, them both the, equally yeah. the same. Equally the same, yeah. 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 So when you're not working, Mark, how do you relax? I think I know the answer to this one, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I, I row. Um, I love. I love. You know, um, I, I do enjoy the machine a lot. I get. I do a lot of time on that with music in, in my earphones. Um, the on the, the indoor scale. I really, I really like that. I love rowing with my mates. Uh, I, body surfing is, you know, you know, is it, probably uh, my favourite. Ex- other other. Um, 
uh, you know, anything in the water really, but body surfing, if I had to choose one activity, body surfing uh, is, is a great thing to do. Paddling a surf ski and on the right days is great too. Mate, I remember sometimes visiting your place and tripping over bloody kettleballs and dumbbells that were just, yeah. you know, I think you had one yeah. in behind the door, you had one, one to the right-hand side of the entrance to the house. I mean, and you were fanatical. You'd walk past one of these things and you'd just pick up and do 10. Say, Billy, you just do 10 and it's fantastic. You still yep. doing that? Absolutely. And I've still, and, you know, that was Vern Gambetta gave me that. Um, and he would be another person I would encourage anyone to look up. But Vern was the uh, trainer for the Chicago Bulls and he came out and did a, um, uh, a, a, a thing at the uh, Institute of Sport. And it was, he was a great guy, Vern Gambetta. He, he trained some of the world's great athletes, including obviously Michael Jordan and those guys in that period. But his big thing was that dumbbells are smart. So you know, I've learned, I, I do really rate that, you know, throwing things around, eccentric loading. And, you know, he was, he was, a, he was a terrific guy. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Vern Gambetta and I'd, I'd give him all the credit for a lot of that stuff. Um, he, he taught me to, you know, to just you know, pick things up with that eccentric loading and equal loading on both sides is, is very clever. So, um, yeah, but I still do a bit of that sort of stuff too. <laughs> I'm getting old, mate. The weights aren't, <laughs> the weights aren't what they used to be. <laughs> well, they don't bounce up as far as they used to. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it that makes you happy, Mark? Uh, look, you know, family has been a big part of my life. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've had some, you know, I've been very lucky. My grandparents picked up the, the slack when my father left, um, you know, uh, so family, family's huge. Uh, I've come from an Irish Catholic background, really, but, but really, you know, the, the Catholic part was very suppressed with my, my parents. My father is, was extremely anti-religious. He, he only died a couple of years ago, but he was brought up in, had some tough times in Ireland back in the day. Um, the Australian landscape, I just, I just love it. I'm looking out now, I probably don't make anyone jealous, but I'm looking straight at South Kilkill Beach, which is, you know, one of the most beautiful places in the world for me. So, um, you know, the sun's just going down. So, yeah, the Australian landscape, I find endlessly uh, you know, satisfying and inspiring, and uh, I'd like I love doing a lot of weeding and uh, bush regeneration, which I find great exercise. So I do a lot of that. Mm. Um, that makes that that really is one way for me to get really happy, and you know, it's a um, it, it'll put me in a good frame of mind basically any time. You know, I just get out and start ripping some weeds out. You could you don't have to feel sorry for them; just pull them out. <laughs> Mate, I've even seen you you on videos um on the on the road perfect uh, down on the headland there so uh, i know yeah. you, have, you, you have to keep it tidy mate what's your morning what's your morning routine like could you describe it to listeners what's uh, your 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 plan when you get up um look i i i, I very rarely it would be very rare for me to get up after six o'clock in fact it's it's almost non-existent but it happens occasionally i, I do like getting up early even if i haven't had the full eight hours but i i'm usually up you know well if we're rowing i'm i'm, I'm up at 4 30 but uh, I, I prefer to get up at about five and i'll uh you know I've, i'm a i'm a coffee guy i still uh, enjoy a coffee in, in, in the morning and i always have maybe an apple or something along those lines and then you know just get into it and start moving you know my, my father who didn't play a huge role in my life because he left when I was eight for him and I didn't get in contact with him again until I was 18. Um, 
he was a big fan of get up and kick yourself in the bum and get going. And there is something in that, you know, just, but just moving, moving works, you know, not feeling sorry for yourself, just get moving. And, uh, you know, uh, then I start to do a few stretches. I have a couple of stretches. I, I do um, have a coffee, you know, roll around on my back, talk to the dog, you know, and then say what's on for the day, you know. <laughs> That's a day when I'm not rowing. If it's rowing, it's dead easy. You know, I'm so lucky. You know, to be, I'm 60 years old now. To be able to go and row. You know, we had a beautiful row this morning. It was a bit windy, but you know, what did you go out of? Top of Middle Harbour, and you go with eight of your friends, and you know, a decent coxswain, and you know, the, the stars are still out, and you know, I, I don't know who who was coxing this morning. Was Terry coxing or no? Terry's coxing on Friday, uh, but a lovely. Young girl, um, I think if I know she's she's been coming down. She's a really smart kid. She's got a great voice. She's a, one of the school kids from um, uh, down at the club, and uh, she rows at one of the schools that's not particularly successful uh, in rowing. So she's actually enjoyed rowing because some of the younger guys I'm rowing with are still very you know good, and that the crew usually goes pretty well. So um, it's she's she's been fantastic. I'm just sort of struggling for a name at the moment, but. Uh, She's had Cox just a couple of times, but yeah. So Terry, Terry O'Hanlon um, Coxes is still whenever he uh, can get away, he's great. So it's then, yeah, same rises forty years ago, mate. And then, mate, I, I I remember part of your morning routine after the um, after the rose. We have a we have a breakfast coffee when when we have time. Yeah. You think uh, connecting connecting with friends off the water as well, and kind of closing the circle there. That's important, or what, what's oh. Yeah, 100%. I mean, actually, 110%. Yeah. There's, there's really, you know, we're so lucky to do this sport and there should be so many more people doing it. It's one of my passions is to just make it more open to people. It's It's got to be opened up, you know. We've, 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 we've kept it. We, we've really got to make the sport more accessible to more people, keep the elite performance because it is important, but it's not the only thing. You know, I've had the, the incredible pleasure of, you know, sitting in a crew that did go pretty fast a few times. And it's a wonderful thing to aim for. But, uh, you know, to be a lifelong, you know, to be able to do it, is, there's very few. You know, I played good level rugby. I was, a, I was a pretty good rugby player, but you can't play reasonable rugby after, you know, and you're likely to end up with a, with a, a life-affecting injury, no matter how you split that uh, statement. It's a fact. Um, I love rugby, but, boy, after 18, you've really got to be getting money for it, I think. Um, mm. Uh, so whereas rowing is a lifetime sport, it's a, it's an incredible sport. It's a it's a whole body, uh, you know, full full range of motion, extreme cardiovascular, great concentration. I mean, you know, most sports you you concentrate in very short bursts for you know and stop start. Whereas rowing is one of the few things. I'm sure it's the reason that so many rowers do well in life is that. You know, five minutes is your minimum buy-in for concentration for rowing. You know, really, you're, you're talking 20 minutes to half an hour at a time with a short break. You know, mm, mm. And, and once you've trained yourself to do that, anyone who can do that, in my opinion, they're they're going to be successful at something. It doesn't have to be they make a million bucks, but they they're going to have some success in something. That's why I, that's why I keep doing it. That's why I still keep coaching. Yeah, and the friendships are amazing. Amazing. Yeah, the friendships are deep, you know. You, you don't have to talk a lot. You, you know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mark, what, what are some of the books that you've given most out to your, your mates as gifts and why? Or uh, Well, this was the easiest uh, question you'd asked me was about the, the three. I've, I've 
been a bit naughty and gone for uh, three equal. Um, my uh, the, the 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 book that I I really love for main, one of my chapters is Peak Performance um, by those fellows from New Zealand. I think it was Clive Gilson, maybe, and some other guys. They'd um, in the first edition in particular, they analysed um, uh, Bayern Munich, and I, I just could not recommend that chapter too highly to anybody in any sport, and particularly in rowing, because Bayern Munich, as you know, is a is a juggernaut in world football um, or soccer, depending on how you, you what, what you call it. But there's other organisations which they analyse as well, um, and I just love it that they have there, there is no performance appraisal. Um, they are, it is an amazing, a really a really really clever book. Um, mm. So I, I just couldn't recommend. So it's peak that. performance, yeah. Peak performance, yeah, yeah. It's a group of New Zealanders. I think they're from Otago Uni, maybe, maybe about twenty years ago. They went around and, and interviewed they, the Chicago Bulls when when Jordan was still there and so on. They've, they've got chapters and all those, but they're all great. But I would say particularly Bayern Munich that that chapter really affected me. Um, they they choose their players based on their character, one hundred percent, and. Um, they believe that focus uh, substitutes totally for bureaucracy. So they have almost no bureaucracy within the club. That everyone works hard. Um, they just get the job done, and they're growing. You know, they're still the juggernaut of world football. And I find that I found that chapter really um, very, very influential on in my life. Um, the other one I get equal third with that, but it may not be relevant to everybody uh, because it's a, it's based on Australia as well. May we say which is the speeches that made Australia. Um, and I find that there's some amazing moving speeches in that. In particular, one of my favourites is the first speech made by an Aboriginal uh, in the Australian um, Parliament. Uh, and my, um, my brother had the, the great sense of uh, presence of mind um, when, he, when he saw... Um, I'm just telling his name, it's just uh, it escaped me for a minute. Uh, he saw him walking down the street um, uh, in, in King's Cross... And um, he he ran across the road to this little fellow. He's he's five foot two, um, a tiny tiny little man. Um, and he said, "Thanks for all you've done." Um, and his name's just escaping at the moment. I'll get it back in a minute. Um, but uh, yeah, that that speech, which is the first speech ever made by an, by an Aboriginal in, in the Australian Parliament, is is incredibly moving. I just I just love it. Um, so that, that, those were two books for equal third. Um, my second book that really made, made an impact on me and still does is Great Expectations, which I read about once a year. Mm. Um, but basically anything by Dickens, and I'll give an honourable mention there for um, the Christmas, uh, Christmas Carol too, because when you, you think of, I don't know if you've ever read Christmas Carol, but it's, um, yeah, it's 50 pages long and, and you just do this incredible emotional roller coaster um, Along the way, and and you know that's that's it's a wonderful book. So yeah, anything by Dickens, but probably Great Expectations number one. Um, and then my favourite book is a book called uh, The Greek Way by Edith Hamilton. Um, and I don't, it's still in current. It was written in about 1930. Um, mm -hmm. and it's about the pursuit of excellence and um, the the way the, the great the way the Greeks approach things, and uh, it, it's had an incredible effect on me. So that's the book I've given away. I've, I sometimes buy 10 copies and in fact I just noticed they've, they've brought out another edition so this is a book that's still you, if you go into any Harvard bookshop you can buy it um, it's hidden up in, the, in this, the section there so 
uh, yeah, that, that the, that's my you know favourite books, and the, the one that really has influenced me the most is The Great Way, which was sent to me by my father, funny enough. Um, and interesting. Uh, I, I still have it here, yeah. So I, I'd, I'd recommend, you know, Edith Hamilton was an amazing lady. You know, she, she, she was uh, the daughter of two academics and um, she, they tried to force her to learn Latin at the age of six. She didn't learn, like Latin, so she taught herself ancient Greek. Seriously? Where was she, in Australia or America or England? Where... Uh, she was in England, I think, uh, yeah. uh, America. And then she moved to... Um, to uh, Europe, actually. Um, okay. She was given honorary doctorates from Yale. She was an incredible woman. Um, she was a headmistress. And, uh, yeah, she, so she basically grew, grew up as being able to read Greek like you and I can read, you know, English in the newspaper or something. Uh, so she, her, her analysis of, of how the language works and what the Greeks did for the world, you know, it's, it's, it's superb. It's just got all the stories of all the guys, Herodotus and all those, all those blokes and... Um, uh, you know the how they approach the the the, the part that I, the chapter I find the most impressive is the one on religion, which is um, I'm not a religious person by the way, but um, I'm, I don't have a problem with some of the views. But uh, it's about how they approached. You know, their their religion was excellence, basically. You know, just yeah. doing your best. Yeah. So oh, it's a, mate, that, I'm going to put that on my my Amazon shopping list for yeah, sure. Yeah. I just noticed they've got a new they've got a new edition out. That and that's still so it's still current. Book, you know, and it seems to be the cheat sheet for every course on um, ancient studies in, and maybe, maybe literature generally. I think in uh, in the US. No, that's that's a top tip from Dr. Campbell. So in the <laughs> last in the last five years, Mark, what what have you taken on as a new belief? What's really you know you come across and you say, well, I'm going to adopt that. That's that's going to be a habit that I'm going to create and turn that into into behaviour to improve my life. Um. What did I? Can you thought on this one? I, I um, was thinking what I how, what I gave the um, what I thought about in my life. But uh, I'm running out of a bit of life here. Just give me a second, because I actually did write down a somewhat meaningful answer to this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to remember what it actually was. I've got my list that's going dark here, by the way. It's the middle of winter. Um, it's always, it was because I did have a couple of uh, ideas. Uh, what was it? Uh, maybe it was. Uh, what's my morning routine? I've got that one there. What was my? So, what was, so what was the question again, Billy? So a, new, a new belief or behaviour or habit that, that you, you've taken on that's really improved your life in the last few years, you know, other than drinking an extra cup of coffee before you go out for a row with uh, Willow and Bat? Um, look, I don't know that I've made any massive changes in, in the last five years that I can really you know, initially come to, to mind. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've really found that, you know, some of those ideas of just doing, doing my best whenever I possibly can, they, they stick with you, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I left school thinking it was completely normal um, to, to do your very best in everything you could when you, when you could. And I found out, you know, it took a long time for me to realise, I'm a bit slow on the uptake, but I, it took me a long time to realise that, People don't often do that. 
Um, and that was, you know, the other thing I might, might be to, to just keep reminding myself to have a low fear of failure. That, they're, they're the things that really I've, I've probably reminded myself of a lot more in the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've Obery's Law, you know, um, when we're talking about that... Uh, in the first 10 minutes. The, the first 10 minutes. That, that's something that has probably come to the fore a lot more for me, you know, that, that I'll, I'll do something. I, if I don't feel like doing something, I'll just start doing it. Like I'll walk outside at night. And so that means that I'll, I'll get this beautiful walk on the beach that otherwise I would sit there in front of the TV or, you know, whatever. And, and uh, so that maybe that's, maybe that's one thing that I've really adopted a lot more in the last few years, to be honest. I've probably been much more strict on myself for doing that. Yeah. And I think I like, I like your point about not worrying about the fear of um, failure, just pushing through it. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the the best thing you can do is lose your fear of failure. I, they are, it is an imposter, and uh, you know, I, I I would that that possibly was one of the great things that I ever learned. Actually, I learned that in the gym from um, Neville uh, Smith. Actually, that you know, you, you can you just dial up a weight you can't lift, and there's failure for you straight away. So you lose your failure, your fear of failure, very quickly if you if you approach it that way. You can just put on a two hundred kilo, you know, whatever you can't lift it. So there's failure. Yeah. Um, and and that that was a great lesson for me in my in my training actually was to to lose that fear of failure through um, you know just put on a weight that you couldn't lift off the ground well great well that, there's your failure point right there. So what advice would you give to a smart driven young person about to enter the the real world? And um, from your experience, what a, what advice should they just say? No, not for me. I mean, I love your point about constantly doing your best high performance the fear of failure so yeah well what the other thing you is you've got to believe in yourself and this yeah. one i really do but you know because if you don't then you can't expect anybody else to um except you know that it, it, whatever you want to do will be harder than you think and it's the old story of you know bite off more than you can chew and uh, chew like hell um you know and, and and wherever you can ignore can't but um but, you know, take advice. You know, with a lot of us, any, anyone my age or your age, will we'll know that there's plenty of things at times we could have taken advice and other times you just have to just push through. But, um, yeah, buy it off more than you can chew and chew like hell. Is there anything they should ignore? Oh, yeah, negative naysayer people. You know, who some people, like, there are a few, unfortunately, in most, you know, parts of your life you you run into them occasionally, but they're not, they're not that common. Um, you know, pe- so most people have your best interests at heart is what I've, I, I honestly believe. They, they really do. It's amazing how many people are around. Um, yeah, just, just, just do your best. And, and then once you've done your best, just push yourself to do a bit better. That, that's what I've always coached by that um, thing. You know, don't be afraid of failure. And just with the coaching I've done, I've always worked on kids to, to uh, you know, just, approach it that way and you know once you've done your best well you've extended it and do a bit more next time yeah we've talked talked a lot mark this today about the uh different rowing coaches that you know greatly influenced your approach to rowing and and how how that took you through your career so when when you were when you look back at your race day routine and uh, how would you describe to the listeners what you do on the on the race day and i know you still do when you go out and race at Henley or you're racing in the, in the Masters or, or the surf boats, which I think is still mental to go out and race the surf boats now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I remember doing it, I think, against you a few times. But uh, what, how would you describe what your routine is? 
Uh, look, I, I just make sure I do a reasonably good warm up. Uh, I, I do a particular stretch. I did, I did two yoga classes in my life and I got a sort of a combination where you cross your leg under you and you pull your back leg forward and up to your backside and stretch. I always do that one. I roll around a bit. But the other thing I, I think I'm reasonably good at doing is just trying to make my world just get smaller and smaller so that as I go to the start line, I'm able to just enjoy being focused on what, what, what we're going to do. You know, just, you know, just get in the moment. Uh, that would be my, that's the main thing. You'll get enough adrenaline to get warmed up any time. I always tell the kids that too. Just, just feel your world getting smaller. The best races I ever, the ones I really, really enjoyed were the, where you know, you're just so focused and in the moment. It's, it's one of the great things about rowing. You can, you can really do that. I remember that last race at Carapiro against Harry's crew where as we went through the 1,000 metre mark, I, I just looked down at my legs and I thought, wow, look at them go. That's, you know, it was like an, almost an out-of-body experience. Mm. You know, that was incredibly enjoyable. I, I really look back on that. I can still remember that moment, just going through the 1,000, saying, look at them go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, was, it, was there any process that, that you go through to get to make the world smaller? Could no, you describe it? I don't know if I can. I, I think practice, I guess. Just practice. That would be the, the main thing. I just believe, you know, I think it's a good thing to do if it works for you. Then maybe it may not work for every person, but it's certainly worked for a lot of the crews I've coached for. Um, you know, just, just to teach them to just get in that moment and, and be happy to be there. That's, that's another thing I've, I've often reminded myself on the start line. Because you go down, you got, especially when you're a master and you've got so much else going on in your life and you've got kids and family and business and, you know, there's a thousand things you should be doing. But, um, to remind yourself, I get to the start line and I just, I look around, I think, how lucky are we to be here? You know, I mean, it's, it's an incredible privilege to go down to the start in a, in, a, in a rowing race on a good course and maybe even with a held start. But, but even with that, you know, just to get every, all those people in the, same, uh, in the same area and having a bit of a crack, you know, it's, you know, like, like you know, we, we're all pretty aware that, that uh, Masters Rowing is, um, you know, it not, doesn't make the front page of a newspaper, but that doesn't mean it's any less important to, to really do your best because it always gives you that great sense of satisfaction. If, you just, I, I, if it does for me anyway, and I think it does for most people. It does for me too, mate. I mean, it's, yeah. you're going out there and you're, you're pushing as hard as you were when you were 18 or whatever. Yeah. It still yeah. hurts as much and it still gives the same buzz. Yeah, I remember my final year at school was probably where I really learned to do that, to make the world a much smaller place, you know, just focus down. I can remember going down for the, the head of the river race and, you know, I literally had this moment where I thought I could jump out of this boat now and just row to the side and no matter how much, you know, uh, you know people complained, I, I have the right to do that, but I just really want to be here. I've, I've done the work and I'm, I'm actually looking forward to having a crack. So... I think I do remember that moment very clearly uh, in my final year of high school, um, you know, going down to race, you know, what, what was then a 2,400-metre race too, so it was quite mm, a good mm, thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So do, do you have a, a different mental strategy for the race and for after the race? Oh, not for after the races, you know. In, so, <laughs> in so what, you know, dealing with an outcome that you're not happy with, how, how do you approach that? Well, so at, when when I was running seriously, yeah, that would that maybe that would be something I'd, I'd always analyse. What it, I would always now, and if I would encourage kids who are you know, I'm coaching that you would analyse immediately what went wrong and what went right. Okay, for masters rowing, I I really haven't 
you know, I, I just enjoy it. I, I enjoy the fact that I can darn well do it. You know, I've got two working legs and two working arms. So, um, you know, it's, I think you're incredibly lucky to be in that situation at, at, at the age of 60. Um, so, you know, and to be able to push myself and still do reasonably good times, you know. So I, I would still analyse it to some extent, but really for a master's role, the main thing is just to be happy. You, you did it and did your best and then maybe analyse a couple of uh, points where you, you think you could do better. You know, usually it's going to be to do with managing your lactate in the race going too hard. Um, you know, too early and, and blowing up. That's, that's uh, you know, and you can usually analyse how much training you've done and we've all got a thousand excuses and I've got the, you know, about a three-inch thick book of excuses. As you know, the Surf Bay book of excuses is never ending, you know. <laughs> exactly. So what's, yeah. what is, if you're, if you're racing in the single or the double or whatever, but let's take the single for a moment, how would you describe your race profile? So your start, middle, finish, or is it you know out for ten and then push along, hard finish? What? Uh, no, I just I, I usually do twenty five to thirty, and then I I've found well, well, tactically, basically, what's worked for me in masters rowing, uh, particularly, has been the second thirty strokes. So you know, and then I just hang on for dear life. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm naturally fairly. Powerful. I've lost a lot of strength, but you, don't, you probably don't know. I had a spinal surgery a few years ago, had an accident in the surf boat in training. Actually, not in not in the surf. Um, and I've lost a little bit of power in my left leg, but it doesn't really affect me much. Luckily, I'm, it's slowly coming back. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I, the second thirty strokes was always has always been the area I've ta- I've targeted in masters rowing. So it, it takes you out to about a minute. Good. It takes you out to about a minute forty five. So you're nearly at your VO two max point there. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to manage your lactate, right? That's right. So you've just got to – I've just found that, well, just you know, speaking generally in masters rowing, that's often where people go out hard for a start and have a bit of a bludge and then come home hard. So you know, you're t- just, just from a purely tactical point of view, that second 30 strokes can be a very useful place to do some hard work. If you, if you could only have one piece of exercise equipment for the rest of your life, what would that be, mate? Oh, this was a good question. And yeah, I, I, I knew you'd be uh, well, worried about this one. Well, well, the, the truth is, the honest truth is, it would be one of my indoor scholars if I had to say only one thing because I, you can use it anywhere, and I drag it around the car and I set it up beside the road and you know in, in waterfalls and all sorts of great places. So I really, I, I do mean that. That's that's why I stay involved with it. I, I really I find it enjoyable for myself and, and uh, a lot of the people who've got one send me really lovely emails from time to time saying that they enjoy it. So that's great. Um, but a very, very close second would be my little surf ski that I got at the tip for 30 bucks uh, last year. And uh, we have a particular surf ski in our surf club. Um, we, we call them indestructibles or indos. It's a little. It's a plastic, but it's a, so, a very solid plastic with a with a uh, foam interior. It's not like your normal surf ski at all. Um, you can ride away from you know one foot high to fifteen foot high. Um, you can get on any waterway. It's got a very shallow draft. Obviously, I've been over all sorts of rivers and things with it. Um, I can paddle out two kilometres offshore here and paddle back. Um, it's. I would be very stupid to say it's shark proof because that'll guarantee I'll be eaten next time I go out. But it's not hollow. Uh, it's extremely resistant. So it would take a very determined shark attack to... Um, shark uh, to, attack? Well, you know, we have, some, we have some pretty decent sharks around here, but um, kill, kill these days. Um, so I, I wouldn't say 
to anybody that's necessarily, uh, you know, I, there's nothing, no such thing as a shark-proof surf ski, but it's great and I have a lot of fun with it. So there you go. My, they, they would be my two favourite pieces of, of equipment. I think there's one deterrent for sharks in a, on a surf ski, isn't it, mate? That's called speed. <laughs> no, this thing it does not have speed. This is this thing. I'm, I'm talking about a wave ski, not a not a racing ski. <laughs> Mate, what's your what what's uh, what's your favourite strength routine? We know that you love dumbbells and 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 uh, plyometric work. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, my my favourite one is um, Professor Cotton's circuit, which I got at Leichhardt Rowing Club years ago. For, for those who don't know, Professor Cotton made a massive contribution to rowing physiology worldwide, and you know he made the first ergometer. Um, which people may not love him for, or he 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 started the idea, and then actually John Harrison, who helped me a lot with the Ray Perfect, um, was a wonderful, wonderful man, John Harrison, who uh, was uh, to give you an idea of what a what a guy he was. He beat a guy called John Bliss in the in the beach sprint, um, who had never been beaten, and he, he did that again two years the next year. Sorry, so he did two years in a row, but at the same carnival, he won the beach sprint on a surf. This is at a surf um, carnival, obviously, yeah. surf carnival. He also uh, won. He won the silver medal at the Australian Championships uh, in a surf boat that he had not only designed but built himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For Newport, he he was an, and he became a professor of mechanical engineering at uh, uh, New South Wales University. He's famous for making the first thing that was used, the first head um, uh, apparatus that was used to treat um, what's the the, the twitchy. Uh, I just can't. Um, it's gone out of my head. But the uh, in the in the um, a twitching disease, um, uh, Parkinson's disease. Okay, mm-hmm. so he, he he made the first uh, thing for that. Besides a whole lot of other things, and an amazing an amazing man, John Harrison, and a beautiful guy died a few years ago. Um, so uh, yeah, he uh, made a he he worked for Professor Cotton or wrote, worked with Professor Cotton. Cotton circuit basically is about eight different exercises that you do the most you can do in two minutes, and you halve that number and you do that those eight or nine exercises, depending on whether you have a chin-up bar around. Yeah. Um, and you do them three times through. When you can do them in under 27 minutes, you go back and retest yourself for, um, for two minutes. So that, that's my favourite strength routine. Have you, have you got that written down by any chance? I can more or less tell you. There's side-to-side runs, there's squats, there's sit-ups, there's uh, burpees, which I don't do much burpees anymore. I'll probably avoid that because of age. Yeah. Um, push-ups. Uh, side-to-side hops, which I think are a really great exercise. Um, step-ups onto a bench. Uh, chin-ups, I mentioned. Mm-hmm. That's, that's most of them. Uh, do I say sit-ups? Push-ups? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's about eight or nine exercises. Uh, you, do, you do as many as you can do in two minutes, halve that number, and um, then, uh, you know, uh, do that three times through maybe the first couple. Of, and when you can really go... Uh, then you can back off. Uh, you can, you can, if you, if you feel you need to for a young person, um, you might um, increase that, uh, increase your numbers. Mate, is there any new rowing gear that you've been using that you'd recommend to others? Well, the one thing I have been using a lot is uh, Jim Battersby's new monitor for our, um, for the rowing machine, which is pretty impressive. And I, I'm excited if we can ever finally bring it to market. It's got a touch screen and it's got a lot of fantastic features. He's a very clever guy, as you know. Um, yeah, I'd like to see that if you can. Maybe if you, if you send something over, I'll include it in the show notes so people can take a look. I will definitely try and get you a prototype ASAP, mate. That's a good, good idea. He's done very well. 
Mate, is there, there anything, you know, we're, we're nearly at the end. Is there anything about you that uh, people don't know that would perhaps surprise them? And I mean, you, you know, what would surprise Jim Bat or, or Willow or myself? Um, I've always been a massive watcher and re-watcher of movies. Um, you know, the, my yeah, I didn't know that classes. about you. Yeah, I, 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 I've watched There Are Weird Mob probably 100 times. That's a great film. I I, I watched that the other month with Ange. I think that always cracks me up. It's it's a beautiful movie. You know, to to turn up in a foreign country, all you need is good manners and a work ethic and you're fine. It's an amazing... It changed the Australian film industry. It's an incredible thing. Muriel's Wedding is probably my favourite movie. And I've I've watched it more than... Well, well more than 100 times. I think it's it's a brilliant piece of work. Uh, the other Australian movies, you know, Death in Brunswick, and the other one I really enjoyed recently is Ray, and I'll watch that many times. Uh, yeah. I think that, that's, a, that's an incredible performance. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so that's my well, Jamie, Jamie Foxx, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's incredible. Jamie Foxx, yeah, yeah. incredible. Yeah. And, mate, is, finally, is there anything that I, that I haven't asked you that I should have? I mean, if, if, if you were interviewing yourself, what would you ask? What was the most important decision of your life? Yeah. What was yeah. it? Uh, picking your life partner and uh, the only thing that the one bit of useful advice my father gave me <laughs> after the, being out of my life was try to do it rationally and uh, I've been incredibly lucky as a direct result of that uh, thought process but wow. you know it, yeah so that would be yeah that would you know just uh, the, it is the most important decision of your life and if you put just a bit of thought into it I think uh, it, it can work pretty well for you yes yeah, you know that an amazing yeah. piece of advice. Yeah, that's the only advice I'd give anybody. I think really, <laughs> just get in, get stuck in, have a great time. It's it's over. So stay positive. Yeah, stay positive. And when you when you when you can't be positive, you know, do those basic things. You know, have a drink, have a bit of food, or have a bit of rest, or do some exercise. They they work for me so often. You know, it's, it's often if I just go through that basic checklist, it's it's incredible. That's, that's a really good process to remember for everyone out there. You know, just have a look, do a check-in with yourself, go through that process, food, you know, if I've got a sugar love, had enough sleep, bit hungover or whatever, tired, fatigued, and, yeah. and be a little bit kinder on yourself, I guess. Yeah, I just think I, you know, just remember that some of the, um, if, if you're down a bit, I, I, I often just, I don't get down very often, to be honest, but, but I do think about some of the people who've influenced me in my life. You know, my, my headmaster at school was a fantastic guy, Guthrie Wilson, incredible man. Some of the, the guys at the university, Jack Edgerton and, uh, you know, Dave Hodgson, who had the trotters on the treadmill, they, they were amazing, good scientists, great guys, Marsh Edwards. You know, I just, I just remember them and I'll sometimes, you know, it just refocuses you, thinking about some of the good people you've, you've known in your life. Yeah. It's good advice. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you, Mark? Uh, roperfect.com.au. Contact me anytime. Uh, info at roperfect.com.au. I'm happy to chat to anybody. Um, that's that's uh, You can connect through the through the website if, if you're more than welcome to. Um, Harbour Vet, if you're, uh, <laughs> if you're in the... <laughs> if, you're in a, if you're in Sydney on the Northern like Beaches. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Mark, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you again. It's always a pleasure, mate. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Join me next time where I'll be talking with one of the rowing world's most interesting people. And if you like this episode, 
you can subscribe so you never miss an episode in the future. Oh, and please, if you like it, leave us a five-star review. That really helps us out. You can find out more about our unique training system and courses by visiting whchambers.com.